Okay. Thank you guys for coming back to listen to another episode. I have back on the podcast another very special guest, um, Candice Crutchfield. Hi. Hello, Danielle. Glad to be back. Yeah. So for people who are listening who don't know, Candice is now a New Yorker and <laughs> lives in Manhattan. <laughs> um, so you're kind of in at least the epicenter for America of mm-hmm coronavirus so how how's that been going how are you handling social distancing in new york yeah you know what (laughs) i'm gonna be honest with you uh at this point the days are literally like starting to blend together Mm -hmm. um i looked at my calendar yesterday and i i think this is day 30 or 31 of social distancing quarantine Mm -hmm. whatever we want to call it Mm -hmm. um but like you know new york is a week or so ahead of Um, yeah the other hard-hit states and counties um so I feel like I'm just now starting to become used to this new normal um but yeah it's I will say it's really interesting to see the video clips of like Times Square an area that I have historically avoided in the past because (laughs) like the massive crowds and stuff but now it's nearly completely empty really it's like very strange and I live a couple blocks away from Columbia University and so since most of the students have gone home or moved out and obviously class is no longer happening in person it is so weird to like walk by the campus especially when the weather is nice and it's just like desolate (laughs) yeah that I can't even imagine what that looks like New York with everybody inside and people are literally like on top of each other so I I think for like us here in Virginia, for the most part, it's a mm-hmm. lot easier to do social distancing because most of us are in houses or something. But like in New York, especially if you have a whole family living in an apartment, I would go insane. My heart know. goes out to the parents who are not only trying to work from home, but also like make sure their kids of all different ages are doing their schoolwork. I don't know. It's just a no <laughs> for me. <laughs> Um, so you, did you finish completely with school? Yes. So, um, I was scheduled to walk during graduation ceremonies this May. Um, and you know what? It's okay. (laughs) Graduation (laughs) is like really important for like, I think it's more of an important ceremony for my family. So I was looking forward to like the festivities and celebrating with them, but like things will be okay and we will find other ways to celebrate. But I think right now graduation is going to be virtual and I don't really know what that entails or what that looks like. Um, But at this point, I'm like, you know what? Do what you have to do. I'm just trying to stay healthy and go with the flow. (laughs) But also checking my privilege because, like, I feel grateful that my program ended back in January. So, Mm -hmm. like, I already have my diploma. I'm, like, a full, quote-unquote, master of human rights. Um, From Columbia, Ivy League. No, (laughs) thank you. Um, But I am glad that I'm, like, not dealing with that struggle of being a student and, like, trying to juggle all of my courses and, like, thesis writing at zoom university or whatever they're calling it um so like you know minor setback but you know at least i'm healthy and trying to do my part in keeping other new yorkers healthy and safe but yeah it is what it is at this point Mm -hmm. i saw you went to i think it was trader joe's Mm. and the line was like blocks away from the store yes danielle it is i i can't even describe it like so they have 
obviously it's with social distancing. So we're all about five or six feet apart from each other, but the line just goes on and on and on and on and on. Like, I think I was seven blocks away from the entrance and they are letting about 15 people in grocery stores at a time. Wow. But I will say once you're inside, it's great. Like fully stocked. <laughs> I almost forgot there was a pandemic going on until I walked back outside and I was like, oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. How long did you have to wait? I waited for an hour which is why I will not be grocery shopping every week. Uh, just got to pile it on. I have a bicycle now because I refuse to take the subway. Um, yeah. Ugh, so. I wouldn't want to take it either. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're making it work, but it is definitely like an adjustment. Mm, this is such a weird time in history. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, it's cool, I guess, to be part of it, but it's also weird as hell. Like... Virginia is basically closed until right. June. So I I don't know. I can't lie. I don't enjoy being in the house all day. Like and I have a pretty like cushy situation sure. compared to most people, but I need to leave. I wanna yeah. leave. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. <laughs> I'm just like at this point I'm walking from one corner to the other and like my apartment's not that big. So like my kitchen is my living room. And I'm just like, what are we gonna do today, Candace? I also live alone, which mm -hmm. I mean in retrospect, that's very nice. Like I'm in control of the entire situation, but also mm -hmm. that means I haven't had like face to face interaction for thirty days. And mm -hmm. I'm not sure what that's gonna look like when we're all like quote unquote let out and freed or whatever. But um let out. I just Wait, I mean, I just don't know. Will I even be able to continue a conversation? I, right. I don't know what you that looks and like. The voices for me. in your head. Yeah, we'll I'm talking to, to my plants. <laughs> <laughs> um, so really quick before we get into like the meat of the conversation, mm -hmm. how's like adult life now that you're a hundred percent out of school? Are you gonna stay in New York forever? <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know about forever. <laughs> um so yeah, so I got my official diploma in January, February time. Um, and for the first month, it felt really weird, but I was in a fortunate position. So I was able to transition from a part-time internship that I was doing during grad school. Um, and I just came on as a full-time employee mm -hmm. um, at the Vera Institute of Justice, I guess, for context. Um, wow, uh, that's a big <laughs> deal too. Candace is so casual, <laughs> but that's a big deal for everyone who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I don't deserve this. But um, there's so I was fortunate that there wasn't too much of a change of pace after school. And I like my job. I'm a program analyst. So I basically get to continue doing research primarily surrounding jail incarceration. And it's like I still get to have the fun of writing papers like I did in grad school. But this time I like get paid to do it, which is a clearly a win-win situation for me. Right. Um, and then I was also fortunate, obviously before the coronavirus thing, um, I had a gig with New York University where I was going into prisons um, a few times a month and doing writing, tutoring, and workshops with some of the incarcerated folks who are actually students enrolled in NYU courses. Um, so obviously thinking about them during this like unprecedented time, and I'm not sure how that's going to shift or work in the future but for now I do plan to stay in New York for at least the foreseeable future uh, I like to plan loosely because whenever I make a concrete plan Danielle they fall through <laughs> <laughs> so I I like where I am right now I have no complaints uh, and I could totally see myself being here for a bit oh cool I used to always want to live in New York 
And then when I became an adult, after like growing up in the suburbs for my whole life, I was mm-hmm. like, there's rats everywhere. Like there's trash everywhere. <laughs> yes. People are really mean. I need to be like not in the city. <laughs> and it's like a billion dollars for a broom closet. Yeah, I was going to say, it's really that rent situation is not <laughs> looking good, but we make it work. Um, okay, so you've been, what did you study for undergrad? So in undergrad, I double majored in criminology um, mm-hmm. and also communications. Um, so I had kind of the best of both worlds. Okay, cool. So how, when did you know that you wanted to make your career about studying prison reform? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I get this question a lot from people <laughs> and often somehow still I haven't developed a clear and concise answer. And I may have even mentioned it the last time I had the pleasure of being on your podcast. But so before college, like many of us, I read Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is a staple read for not just academics, but, you know, really anyone who wants to learn. Yes, yeah. so anyone who wants to learn about the various injustices of the criminal legal system and then also as a caveat i like no longer call it the criminal justice system because from my viewpoint like not just very little justice actually happening um so i like to refer to it as the criminal legal system or the criminal injustice system um but to answer your question i started reading various books about the system particularly in high school i've always had a fascination with history especially the civil rights era so My family's from the South, so I grew up visiting all the important landmarks and things. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, when you start to study these things in greater context, you see how everything is linked all the way from, as Brian Stevenson says, like slavery to mass incarceration. So I went to college, like I said, majored in criminology, again, found myself picking uh, courses and topics surrounding prisons and incarceration. Um, And I think in college is when I was exposed to people like Ruth Wilson Gilmore, who does work on the economics of prison, phenomenal black woman. Um, I started reading more Angela Davis, Brian Mm -hmm. Stevenson, James Kilgore. I could list all these people. (laughs) Um, uh, And then during that time, I also found myself drifting away from more general prison reform. Mm -hmm. um, Because for me, uh, it's about the system itself. So prisons, jails yeah pension centers and i started shifting and getting more comfortable and educated around like this idea of abolition which is a whole conversation for another episode but, oh my gosh like yeah. get rid of jails and prisons abolish them all we can have a whole conversation <laughs> okay. about this but I, I would say that like once you start to see and really understand like the way incarceration or i guess more so the concept of punishment Uh, particularly in the United States, has kind of followed society. It opens your eyes. And I guess I just felt called or inspired to work within this specific realm of social justice. And Mm -hmm. also, as a brief aside, um, in addition to the historic and academic interest in it, I will say, like many people, I have been touched in some way by the system through family Mm -hmm. members who have been incarcerated uh, for some rhyme or reason, as well as people that I'm fortunate enough to call friends. So coming Mm -hmm. at it from a lot of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. It is odd and like very unfortunate i don't really know any black people who don't know someone right. that's in their family that's gone to jail mm-hmm. most of them men yep and it's unfortunate that so many of us know that um but i think that's awesome that you've like found what you really want to do and you're 
working your way. I told Candace she's going to be like the next Angela Davis. Um, <laughs> so you're the only person that I've seen, literally the only person, talking about how coronavirus is affecting people in prison, particularly people in Rikers, because that's in New York, and the rate of, like, it's spreading so much faster there, even in New York, which is already much faster than the rest of the country. Um, So can you talk to us about what's happening there, how they're handling it, if they're handling it, um, what's going on? Sure. Um, Yeah. So I guess to preface my answer that uh, it should be known, like I come at this as a researcher. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily an expert in terms of having the lived experiences, but I can tell you based on like my comrades who are inside of jails and prisons around the nation, as well as the folks that I have the liberty of talking to almost every day. But so over the course of the last few weeks, prisons and jails have essentially become a petri dish for coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Correctional officers are coming in and out of these facilities and what are they bringing with them? Coronavirus. Right. Um, but since our conversation is kind of centered on New York, I do want to hone in specifically on Rikers Island Jail Complex, which for context is only about 10 miles or so from infamous Times Square. So that puts things Wow, I didn't bit. know that. Yeah, yeah. The island is only 10 miles away from Times Square. Um, and I think it would take about 30 minutes on in a car. So mm-hmm. yeah, very close to where everybody is living. Um, so between this week and last week, the numbers are always changing. There are over 400 people, both incarcerated folks and employees, who have tested positive for COVID-19 at Rikers. Mm-hmm. And remember, this is just people who have been tested. So there are oh, yeah. countless others exhibiting the systems, and we can't forget about the people who are asymptomatic, likely walking around the facility. Um, so let's put that into additional context. Right. So as of this week, there is about a 6.6% infection rate within New York jails, which is about what, 60, 66, 67 cases per 1,000 people. Which is way higher than the rest of the country. Exactly. That's, it's absolutely absurd because when you compare it even to just like outside of Rikers and just New York City in general, there's only a 1% infection rate here in New York. So that's about 10-ish cases per 1,000 people. Mm -hmm. So why is it 67 cases per 1,000 people in jail and only 10 per 1,000 here outside? Um, And are they doing social distancing in jail, in prisons? No. I mean, if we think about the way that prisons and jails are designed, you can't distance because everyone's bed is less than a foot away from their neighbors. And then also on top of that, soap and toilet paper was already a huge commodity in these facilities before coronavirus. So now it's just simply non-existent. I mean, we have reports of sick folks being kept with the healthy folks and sick people are actually afraid to ask for help or to even ask to be tested because of fear of one being denied because the medical ward at Rikers is already full. Um, And also the fact that they could get sent to solitary confinement as a quote preventative measure. But when you're in solitary confinement, that means on top of being sick, you have no windows, you have no phone calls, you have no contact uh, with the outside world. And it's just like, kind of ridiculous that people are almost choosing life or death because they don't want to die alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also did a quick 
segment thing on my Instagram, shameless plug for hashtag injustice served, um, <laughs> where I talked about incarcerated folks who are being lured in with labor exploitation, which I think is a significant narrative that is being um, diminished from the bigger conversation. So incarcerated folks at Rikers are being offered protective gear like masks and gloves um, in return or in exchange for digging mass graves outside um, where countless bodies are going to be buried and there's because there's literally no space in New York to bury all the people who have died from coronavirus complications. And, and don't you have like I think two weeks to claim the body or they're putting them in the mass graves? Yes you have like two weeks and I don't even know how like that is being operated but I will say so I live about two blocks away from an emergency room and there is a freezer truck parked outside. Uh, yes it's very concerning that they have a freezer truck parked outside where they're just sending bodies yeah and so like you think about the folks who are at rikers being offered protective gear in exchange for digging these mass graves which includes their friends who are in rikers who may end up in those graves at disproportionate rates um and then on top of that gloves masks those things um that we're all wearing outside when we go grocery shopping or we go for walks those are considered contraband or violations of rules in prison yeah what so if incarcerated folks are caught covering their face while they're inside of facilities they face disciplinary action so they can't even protect themselves because i mean they think like oh they're going to start a riot or an uprising they're hiding their faces so we can't see their like (laughs) quote unquote well i hate the word inmate but they call it their inmate number um we have this reality where the Department of Corrections has created this reality um, where it's safer for incarcerated folks to choose to dig graves outside um, instead of sitting inside where people, like you said, are living on top of each other. Um, Not to mention specifically in New York City, folks inside um, of these prisons and jails are producing hand sanitizer that is apparently being handed out to people like me. I mean, I haven't seen this, but it's being handed out by the government to people for free. But again, the prisoners can't use it. The prisoners can't use it if they are found to have hand sanitizer on their person. Like that's considered contraband. Yeah. So there's not even enough soap for them to wash their hands multiple times a day. But here we are in the state of New York, like using them to produce products for us for free. So basically, they're like, you know what? These people's lives are dispensable. Yep. Let's use them to dig some graves. And other than that, who cares what happens to them? Yep. I mean, I... (laughs) (laughs) I'm upset. Yeah, I do also want to use this space to kind of like uplift or highlight some of the experts who have this lived experience. So I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of people like... Adnan Khan, who leads an organization called Restore Justice, and he spent over a decade in prison, and he's doing like phenomenal work uplifting the narratives of people inside mm-hmm. and shedding this light on the fact that the statistics, the statistics that we talked about earlier are tied to actual incarcerated folks, or, I mean, another thing that's often left out, it's the women from a variety of organizations. There's this group called the National Council of Currently and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls. And they are essentially one of the few groups shining a light on the additional plight that women face while incarcerated during a pandemic. Right. And um, the uh, one other person that I would uplift is Rachel Bedard, who is a jail doctor who works with elderly and sick patients at Rikers Island Jail. 
she spends her time on Twitter sharing the fact that she's often one of the last faces that incarcerated folks see before they die and how half of their deaths could easily be preventable. So just prisons and jails, whether there's a pandemic or not, they will always produce some type of a public health crisis. Your right. sentence could be literally two days or 20 years. And regardless, just by entering these facilities, sorry, I'm going off, but no, by entering fine. these facilities, you run the risk of being murdered really at the hands mm -hmm. of the state. Um, but yeah, I mean, folks aren't getting the protective gear they need. They're not being kept safe. And honestly, quite frankly, unless we start making massive changes, uh, it's not going to end well. So what kind of changes do you think um, we should be making? Yeah, so I mean, prefacing, I don't hold all the answers, but yeah. I think about, again, how incarcerated folks are literally sitting in cells less than six feet away from each other, often already in unsanitary conditions. And so the only solution I see at this point is to start the mass release of incarcerated folks, which shout out to places like Oregon, Ohio, parts of California, and even New York a little bit where that's happening, but obviously I would want more. So there's a growing hashtag on Twitter and probably other social platforms. Um, the tag is free them all for public health with the number four. Mm -hmm. um, and in order to prevent the rapid spread of coronavirus or COVID-19, governors need to conduct this mass release of incarcerated folks because they have the authority to do so. Um, and I want to highlight that there is a significantly high incarceration rate for our elders and according to the prison policy initiative folks in jail specifically are more likely to already have some type of pre-existing condition so like the risks are already high um and i just think it's time to expand the conversation for them all because being in prison or jail right now is literally a death sentence and these folks deserve to be with their families and loved ones not only during this pandemic but also beyond so free everybody no matter what i mean once again if we want to go back to the <laughs> abolition uh standpoint yes mm -hmm. however i recognize that obviously that is going to take um a variety of systems working together and we don't see that right now but mm -hmm. i am saying free the elders free those with pre-existing conditions free those who had no business being in jails and prisons in the first place like right. thinking about all these people with drug quote unquote drug crimes, whereas now we see people, primarily white people, being able to sell all types of things um, legally, but we haven't freed the people who were doing the same exact thing years ago. Um, so I just say use this as an opportunity to get people out, as many people as possible. So when are you writing your book? <laughs> or teaching a class at Columbia or something. Uh, listen, I am just like, somebody let me know, give me the platform and I will take advantage of it because I would love to teach a course on this, um, which is why I enjoyed working um, briefly with NYU and um, talking to incarcerated folks about abolition, which you can imagine is its own thing to actually talk about people who are incarcerated, like talking about this with them. Um, but yeah, you know what? Maybe I'll write a book one day. Who knows? Yes, I want to read Candace's book. Like, <laughs> you are like very well spoken. Obviously, you know what you're talking about. Thank you. And I would love to see a documentary, a book, a book with a documentary that comes with it. I don't know, <laughs> like a package deal, a t shirt, anything. Oh my goodness. Yes, I need to start working on that. Uh, <laughs> I still like, I feel like I have a lot more to learn before I can go out and start writing books. But you know, one day that is one of my long term goals, I guess. Do you have like a dream um, person to meet with, like Brian Stevenson or someone like that who you would really want to 
talk with and work with or be mentored by them? Yes. <laughs> yes, Brian Stevenson, absolutely. But definitely my queen, Angela Davis, because oh uh, I, w- I actually was at a conference right before coronavirus hit. Um, I was at a conference called Beyond the Bars, um, and she was there. She was a keynote speaker, but also she just decided to stay for the rest of the conference because that's the kind of person she is. Oh. We made eye contact, so, you know, we're starting. <laughs> we're starting. Yes. Eye contact basically means best friends. That's what I'm claiming. Yeah, um, that's what I've heard. Yeah, but I would love to be mentored by her and some of the other people that I had mentioned earlier because they're doing great work and the way that they have approached their work has been from a standpoint of human dignity and that's always something that I try to do. So definitely. Mm-hmm. Have you read the book um, Push Out? I have it on my bookshelf. I've read (laughs) chapters, but I haven't read it in whole. I think that's going to be my next quarantine read. Mm -hmm. Um, So yes, that's probably a list of things. Yeah, I'm part of a book club and it's like all black women, all the books we read are by black yes, women. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. Like we went to the first meeting and it just happened to be a co-ed one. So it mm-hmm. was, there was like a couple of white guys, but it was pretty much all black men and women. Mm-hmm. And they like went around the room and had everyone say their job. And we had doctors, lawyers, people getting their PhD. People, yes, black people. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, but that was our book for the month. So I need nice. to get it and read it. <laughs> Let me know how it is when you read it. I will. I will. I'm still trying to keep up with a book a week, but I'm kind of behind. I don't know how you're doing that. <laughs> book a week? Mm-mm. Yeah, I'm going to be done with, I think, my 13th book of the year. Nice. Today. Wow. Yeah. I'm trying. This you is my first a- year I've read this much. Honestly, Sam, do you have a goal at the end of the year that you want to read a certain number of books? Well, my goal at the beginning of the year was to read one book a month. And then it just kind of turned out that I was finishing one a week. Um, So if I read like 45 by the end of the year, I'll be happy. (laughs) More power to you, Danielle. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Okay, so... There's been a lot of talk during the pandemic about how this is the time you need to be developing a new skill, you need to be building a new blah, 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 Mm -hmm. and basically come out like looking better and being a completely different person after months of fear and turmoil for a lot of people. I really hate that narrative that everybody is pushing, that if you don't come out of this with a new skill, somehow you're lazy. Yeah. Um... But even despite that, do you have, like, are you hopeful about any effects that this time will have on us as a whole? Like, Mm -hmm. as a society, maybe we'll be different. Maybe we will be different. Um, (laughs) I I do want us to be able to look back on this time as specifically as people in this fight to end mass incarceration, whether that be abolitionists, reformists, progressives, anti-violent, anti-punishment, whatever that looks like for an individual. I want this to be an opportunity for us to say, wow, mass releases are possible. We're seeing them in various states. Let's take that a step further and say, you know, ridiculous systems of punishment shouldn't exist. Um, All people, including incarcerated folks, deserve another chance um, because we are better as a society when we stop caging people. And we're also safer as a society society when we start caging people. Um, 
and more generally, I guess that this is quite depressing, but what's happening in the U.S. right now, like the lack of coronavirus testing, this reliance on underpaid incarcerated labor, the number of people experiencing unemployment, houselessness, like it's, and also the way that this virus is starting to disproportionately impact black and brown folks in rural mm -hmm. communities. I mean, it's all shed a brighter light on the fact that in my opinion, the systems that we have in place right now, they like, they don't work. They're not effective and we need a new approach. So I just want us to look back at this time and say that maybe just maybe we were radicalized. Maybe we can envision a place that's better. It's possible. We've proven now that we have the capacity to do so. So I hope that we just go for it. Yeah, that I, I hope so. I saw a bunch of people saying like, oh, the planet is like starting to heal itself after yeah. a month. Maybe we should do this every year for a month. And I'm like, humans do not care about the planet. Humans as a whole. Yeah. The only reason people are staying inside is because they don't want to die themselves. Right. It's very individualized. Right. I mean, that would be great, but that is never going to happen. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, That's not happening. So just out of curiosity... Mm -hmm. This week, um, Bernie Sanders announced that he's giving up the good fight. And so basically, Joe Biden is going to be the nominee. Uh, and in my opinion, that means Donald Trump is going to win again. Yep. And so how, how, are you, how are you feeling about that? Daniel, <laughs> don't make me do this. Um, okay, yes, I am in pain now that Bernie Sanders is virtually no longer in the race. I am going to have to grapple with this for a long time, but I do see this as, you know, honestly, no matter how this ends up, four more years of chaos, um, if <laughs> right. not more. And in all honesty, if for some reason Joe Biden did win, I don't even think <laughs> Donald Trump would give up his presidency if right. we're going to be completely honest. So I do have a fear about that. And I'm worried about what that looks like to like migrants. I'm worried about what that looks like to uh, people in prisons, uh, unemployment rates. Again, it's just such a difficult time. And as someone with extremely progressive values, this is just very mm -hmm. depressing, but I'm finding like trying to find small ways to like stay positive and at least hope that some of these more progressive values are finally in the mainstream. But I'm not happy about it. I'm not looking forward to it. I feel like I haven't woken up from a nightmare, but apparently I'm awake. So here we are. <laughs> America is a really embarrassing place, right? I mean, it's been really embarrassing for like mm -hmm. the past five years. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he's going to win again. And I mean, maybe he'll just, you know, he'll do his two terms. He won't be able to do it again. Let's get it out of the way. But also what the fuck <laughs> like how who's letting this happen what are we learning from this nothing right even if joe biden did win he like can't speak he can't even form complete thoughts so yeah i was it's... so disappointed in virginia when he won mm. primary mm -hmm. who's voting for this old man not i i sent my absentee ballot in that's <laughs> not who i casted my vote for exactly oh dear 
Anyways, Joe Biden is a mess, and so is Donald Trump. So uh, yep. What What are we gonna do? <laughs> Here we are. But I will say, you know, this is also an opportunity to vote for some district attorneys that will be up for election, mm-hmm. uh, some governors, um, because, like I said before, governors hold a lot of power, especially when it comes to like the criminal legal system. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe this can be a time for some small incremental change even though i'm tired of small incremental change i want massive change but at this point i'm going to take what i could get yeah that's pretty much what we're being forced to do yep take what we can get um okay so i need some book recommendations Mm -hmm. particularly for people who want to read and learn about the prison system sure so i have two books for you today that i would recommend um, and as all things should be, going to start with the Black Woman First, who has been Yay. mentioned a lot of times throughout this podcast, so <laughs> I love that for us. Um, so first, I'll recommend the book Our Prisons Obsolete by Angela Davis. It is a great primer text. It's very short um, and in true Angela Davis fashion, full of information. Mm. It was a great review of the failures of the prison system and encourages readers to kind of expand their viewpoint and route to more progressive uh, and maybe even abolitionist values. So I really liked that and it helped me a lot as I was kind of trying to navigate the framework of how the prison system really operates. Um, And then the other book that I think is perfect really for the conversation we've had today is this book called Usual Cruelty. And I think the subtitle is like The Complicity of Lawyers in the Criminal Injustice System. Mm. It is by a guy who's actually a Columbia grad named Alec Kurt Katsanis. Um, The book came out a few months ago. Kurt Katsanis is a former public defender and talks about the amount of power that lawyers, particularly prosecutors and judges have. Um, And he basically just makes an argument for the dangers of relying on these big systems that aren't broken, but are of course designed exactly how I guess that they were meant to be by the white people who designed them. Um, (laughs) And he did a lot of work with the money bail system, um, which is often kind of left out when we're talking about these big systems of uh, punishment. And it's just a great overall critique of the system as we know it. So that's what I have for you today. Okay, cool. Well, I can't ask you what your dream for your life's work is because you've already been here. (laughs) But um, I have two questions. First, what's your favorite thing about who you are right now? Oh, that question, Danielle. Um, (laughs) Honestly, okay. Two-part answer, I guess. So at this point, just waking up and getting out of bed and logging onto my computer to work from home, like each very small thing (laughs) feels like a huge win in the Mm -hmm. middle of a pandemic. Um, But really, in all honesty, like I just love being a Black woman and I love being a Black woman who is like, finally getting a seat at those tables that I was dreaming of for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm still working on this, but like just being confident enough to share my views while I'm at those tables. Mm -hmm. And you know, my views are sometimes considerably, considerably more radical than the people who are sitting on my left or on my right. Um, Mm -hmm. But honestly, just being able to sit at those tables and say that I at least tried and maybe just maybe made a difference. That's like really, I'm really excited about this point in my life right now. Oh, yay. That is so cool. I I don't know if you see it, and this is kind of, like, going into my next question, mm-hmm. but, like, what is your, like, big 
dream like where I mean that's kind of like the dream for your life's work but what do you what are you I I just feel like you're gonna be a big deal (laughs) (laughs) you have got to stop with this I'm so smart I gotta live up to this potential now Jesus um okay so I think my dream right now acknowledging that maybe it'll change but this has been Mm -hmm. something that's been pretty consistent for the past couple of years I would just really love to be a professor. I would love to be a professor and teach students. And you know what, there's a lot of problems with academia, but I would like to be one of those alternative forms of education that gives students not just a classroom experience, but like a real world experiential learning opportunity. Um, And I would just honestly love to do what the professors and activists and social justice warriors have done for me and just like present the information in an accessible way and like hope that they take it and go out and make some type of change, which I know sounds cliche, but (laughs) I just, I really enjoy working with other people and I love teaching and I love research and I just feel like that's the best way to kind of bring it all together and also write a book. Who knows? Yes. (laughs) please I want to read it I just uh it's cool to it's always cool I was talking to my um 10th grade English teacher she was Mm -hmm. I interviewed last week Mm -hmm. and it's always cool to talk to people who are like in the space they're supposed to be in because they just have like you have like this level of calm about you and but also not calm because you're working in something you really care about and so when there's problems and there's issues, even if you love the space that you're in, love right. sometimes requires criticism right. and encouraging people to do better. And it's just very cool to see like Candace. I've known Candace since like fourth grade. <laughs> I know. I, you can't, I don't know if you can see, but like I'm shaking my head at Danielle just because I'm just in disbelief of this ridiculous kindness. Love Danielle. Uh, we have known each other for years, but yeah, you're, I agree. Like, it's really nice to see people who just appear to be doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. So I appreciate that. And I take that to heart. Yeah. Have you read The Alchemist? No. Okay. So fun fact, it's been, again, all these books on my bookshelf <laughs> that I just haven't read because again, prison things tend to take up most of my time, but right. it's on my shelf. Should when I read it? Have a break. Yes. Okay. Read it. It's quick. You could, well, I don't know how fast you read, but you could read it in like a weekend. Okay. So wonderfully good. And part of it does talk about you can tell when somebody is doing exactly what they were put on earth to do. Mm. And it's refreshing and it's inspiring to see that. So, and I just like showering people with compliments. So, <laughs> too much, too much. Making you uncomfortable. But I'm just very, very proud of you and happy for you. And Thank you. And you to do stuff. I mean, like a name, Candace Davis, Can- Cangela Davis. Cangela <laughs> Davis. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's the name. Okay. Well, I appreciate you so much for being on here. Honestly, thank you so much, Danielle. I appreciate you all the time for doing this podcast, spreading positivity, always like approaching social media in your life with like this beautiful big smile Um, and using your platform to share important stories. And I do want to shout out the healthcare workers in New York who are doing a phenomenal job of like keeping everybody safe. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Those people are superheroes and it, 
I think during times like this, they really get more appreciation, but they should be appreciated all the time. Appreciated all the time and paid significantly more. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you, Candice, for being on. Where can people follow you, find you, read your writings and all of that? Sure. So um, my Twitter is at what Candace says. My Instagram in a very similar vein is at what Candace does. <laughs> if you can't find what you're looking for there, uh, plug to my website, just CandaceCrutchfield.com has everything and more. So yeah. Okay, great. Well, I hope you have a wonderful Saturday. Um, stay safe, stay sanitized. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, I will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Thank you.